gay people love puns. I'm dead. <laughs> we have to stop this podcast. Well, this book causes Satanism. What is left for us to rant about? There is nothing straight about Plum Velvet. <laughs> you shouldn't have been drinking when I said that. <laughs> Monocles are impractical, but hot. I don't for a second believe that she is a straight person. I mean, I'm definitely here for bisexual Minerva McGonagall. Let's talk about Harry Potter! Hello, and welcome to this very special episode. Before we get into it, I'm just going to like talk to you a little bit about what you're about to hear so that you know what to expect. So this is both Jesse and my conversation about Chuck Tingle's book, Straight, and our interview with Chuck in one episode. If you only want to listen to the interview, check the show notes because I'll put the timestamp for when that starts there so you can just skip straight to that. If you want to listen to both, which I hope you do, here's a little bit of information about what you're going to hear. So Straight is a horror novel that I would say, as someone who does not like horror, is probably around a like six or seven out of ten spookies. I would say it's probably not any more upsetting than like watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer season six. There's like light conversation about gore. We didn't really go too heavily into anything that I think will be upsetting or off-putting for most folks if you can't tolerate conversations about zombie type things at all then probably skip the the book portion of this episode and just head straight to the interview portion but i think as someone who really doesn't like upsetting things that you're going to be fine that almost everyone will be fine listening to this episode uh if you haven't read the book, that's totally fine. Jesse does a really lovely, hilarious, detailed description at the beginning of the episode of like everything that happens in the book so that you'll have a sense of what we're talking about. And I think that's it. I think that's everything that I need to tell you. Happy, uh, happy Halloween in December. Happy Yule. Happy almost our fourth birthday. Uh, We're still trying to hit 400 reviews on iTunes by January 1st, which is our birthday. That might be a little too hopeful, but maybe you'll all prove us wrong. Maybe you'll prove me wrong. You'll be like, no, that's not too hopeful. We've got you. We're going to do that right now. And that'd be really cool. Um, Also, again, yeah, it's our birthday. Maybe like join our Patreon or something. It's a fun place. And both the book conversation and the interview portion of this episode are already up on patreon and are both significantly longer than they are in this episode like 15 minutes longer a piece so if you like what you hear there's a lot more of it to be had so maybe check that out okay yeah that that really is everything i'm just gonna stop talking and get into the episode now Hello, and welcome to The Gaily Prophet, where it's Halloween December slash almost our fourth birthday, and we're doing a fun thing because we can. And by a fun thing, I mean talking about Chuck Tingle's debut horror novel, Straight. I'm Lark Malachi Gray. 
And I am Jesse Blount, and we are very excited to talk about this here book by, like, true national treasure, Truck Jingle. So, we start off with our main character, Isaac, preparing to go on a trip. Because in this world, there is an appending zombie apocalypse of cis-het people losing their minds for two days and trying to murder all queer people. This zombie apocalypse, this is the third year that it's happening because it is, in fact, influenced via a space phenomenon, a la the OG Night of the Living Dead. But not only is this the third year this happening and thus a predictable date about when it's going to happen, there's also a vaccine, which unfortunately may or may not be working this third year around, and maybe not a lot of people got for reasons that I'm sure all of our listeners can imagine in 2022. And we start off ominously enough with Isaac leaving his building and meeting with his old cishet neighbor who tries to give him cookies filled with tacks and sewing needles. And a dead fish. And a dead fish. All (laughs) manner of things. Yeah, it was very upsetting. Uh, so not a great omen for the beginning of his trip, but thankfully his butts pull up and we have Jason and Hazel and Nora. Nora and Hazel are a lesbian couple. Hazel is a beautiful trans woman and Isaac, our lone bisexual, feels a little bit annoyed about some of the biphobia from, from Jason, who is a gay man, but it's all right because we're all in this together. They are preparing to avoid this predictable zombie apocalypse by hanging on the desert and an Airbnb. Unfortunately, they did not prepare enough to get a full tank of gas and food. So they stopped by a saloon on the way to Joshua Tree and filled with the kind of uh, scary looking cishet white dudes that you'd expect at a saloon. Our heroes go, go to their beautiful Airbnb in the desert and barricade themselves a little bit inside their Airbnb, but it has a hot tub, which they can enjoy the sunset. And also some scary noises of two of those dudes from the bar coming to attack them. They all run back into the house and Jason, the one who has read all the zombie apocalypse books, has a gun. And then we find out that these two dudes are just fucking with our heroes because they suck. Unfortunately, one of them wasn't totally honest with his friend about his sexuality and gets stabbed by an old dude who also has a cabin some miles away who is in the middle of the rage, the zombie rage against queer people. Our heroes and the terrible and our token terrible heterosexual Brandon all run back inside of the Airbnb and hide in a little lofted bed area while this old artist dismembers someone in front of them while they figure out what the fuck to do now. Thankfully, Hazel, both a scientist and being very on top of her game, is like, I have this drone. And with a little bit of help from a ruined Tomboy X uh, sports bra (laughs) and the musical stylings of RuPaul lure the artist and his zombie family away for them to escape. 
Only now some more scary heterosexuals have shown up. So the escape route via terrible heterosexual Brandon's truck is cut off. So they got to run back to the car that has only a little bit of gas. And unfortunately, Jason trips and heroically sacrifices himself over an embankment to lure the heterosexuals away in order for our heroes to escape. But now we're on the road and we have no fucking gas. Only terrible heterosexual Brandon is like, you know that bar, that scary bar that we were at earlier? You know, the owner keeps some gas in the back. So they go to the bar and they're waiting for Brandon to come back with the gas. And he does not come back. And so Isaac, our main character, decides to go try to find him, which he does. He finds Brandon and the gas and they try to sneak out because in fact... Both the owner and the bartender are unvaccinated and they're just trying to kill Isaac, which leads to a chase through the scary, the honestly scary Western town. The bar owner ends up capturing Isaac and tries to murder him. And terrible heterosexual Brandon runs away because he fucking sucks. And then Hazel and Nora barrel through with the car to run over this wannabe cowboy freeing Isaac and they are ready to go. Except Carthurin is on fire. They need a new ride. But thankfully, out of the gloom, Jason, still alive, driving Brandon's hot wire truck, comes to rescue them and they hightail the fuck out of this terrible western town to go to Palm Springs, which is the true gay haven of this area, but unfortunately, if you're not a resident, it's really expensive to go to if you're trying to stay safe. But they're like, where else are we gonna go? So on our way out from this already stressful situation, who do they see by the side of the road but Brandon? And because Isaac, our main character, is just full of empathy, he's like, even though this guy left me to die, we should still help him, because I'm not like him. Only terrible heterosexual Brandon gets his just desserts as the enraged artist from four chapters ago comes out of nowhere to completely gut Brandon. Womp womp. And thus our heroes escape to Palm Springs, which is set up like you would imagine a zombie apocalypse fortified city with the gates and the military, all of who are queer, of course. And they pull up and there's a moment of worry where they're like, they're not going to let us in. We don't have any tickets. We don't have any money. But gay people are better than that. So they get to roll on into Palm Springs, which is basically like Pride right now. There, Everyone's having a party. Britney Spears dancing until the world end is probably playing because gay people love irony. <laughs> and our heroes are safe to fight another day and to be hungover another day together. Together. Everyone lives. Everyone lives. Just this once, Rose. <laughs> we don't get just a final girl. We get a whole group of final queers, which mm -hmm. if that isn't a Christmas miracle, I don't know what it is. <laughs> I guess we should just go chronologically. Okay. Oh, well, let's, okay, let's start off with Isaac and his neighbor. <laughs> Um, since you mentioned earlier how horrifying that was. So we start off, we start off the book with Isaac 
leaving his apartment and meeting his across the hall neighbor who was an old cishet. I, in my brain, just filled in white lady. But I guess she doesn't necessarily have to be. Who is going to her gay son's house to ride out Saturation Day, as it's called in the book. And even though it hasn't quite happened yet, all the cishats are a little bit funny already. And we find this out when Isaac's neighbor offers him a cookie and he gets jabbed in the thumb by a thumbtack that's been baked in there, amongst other unedible, dangerous things. Which seemingly she doesn't even know that she's done. Like, she has no idea that this has happened. I I sort of love the menacingness of it, of this whole scene, honestly. Yeah. It's a really strong, it's a really strong start. And I think... Like the the fish being in there is like horrifying enough when you assume that it's just like, I don't know, a sardine or something like that. But then like the son, when Isaac talks to him, is like, oh, my God, like that's her pet fish that she cooked in there, which makes it like really is like, yeah, she has no idea what she's doing. You know, mm-hmm. like you don't cook your pet fish on purpose just to yeah. like try to harm your kid because he's gay. Yeah. And she's not vaccinated because she's too old. And she says that she's going to get like tied up in the basement or whatever. And she says, I feel like a werewolf. And I was like, oh, my gosh, she's a Buffy fan. (laughs) (sighs) I mean, you know, gay gay werewolves are always werewolves and gays are always a good combination together. So, yeah, I actually did like that part, too. And then like, yeah, him just thinking about. That's like little old lady going into a blind rage trying to kill like her very nice son who's come to pick her up and lock her in the basement. Mm-hmm. So, and it, yeah, it's like a super effective way to start off the story. And also, everyone, the parallels to our current pandemic and this cishet plague that's happening here <laughs> is very high because. Right, like this is a thing that they have vaccines for, and Isaac is constantly questioning if people are like gotten vaccines or have been vaccinated, or if they're just ignoring it because they're selfish pieces of shit. And I'm like, God bless you, Chuck Tingle. Yep. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. it's like half of the horror of this book is just pandemic anxiety about assholes who like don't want to mask and don't want to get vaccinated because their own selfish bullshit reasons. Yeah, totally. Yeah, the pandemic stuff was honestly like very, very hard to read. Very stressful. Yeah, and so then when I we get to like out to the car and like right off the bat, Nora makes a kind of shitty joke about Isaac's straight half turning into a zombie and it's like Nora just is like one of those people so it's fine but then jason like legitimately implies both that isaac might become a zombie but also that hazel might because she's a lesbian trans woman and it sucks and also is like very real and then nora who like sort of started it like really effectively is like dude fuck off like that sucks which is lovely i love that yeah no uh all the characters are great this is i think why in my brain i think jason is older than the other three Mm. is because both his sort of like rigidity and thinking that like both someone who's bisexual and someone who's trans like 
would somehow be affected by this, where it's like, nope, no, right. And just also in his sort of, I feel like his mind frame, once we get out, like once we start, besides his sort of bullshit about bisexuality and, you know, being trans, I'm like, no, this would be me. I would be like, I'm sorry, everyone, but we're shooting all these heterosexuals. I know. I literally, like, in my notes, have tag yourself. I'm Jason. Like, <laughs> aside, aside from that initial shittiness, I'm. He's like, why are you being loud? Why are you going outside? Why are you drinking? All of this is a terrible idea. No one is being safe enough. Why would we stop at this straight people bar? What the hell? And also, he forgot to get food and gas. Like, literally, I'm Jason. <laughs> like, all of the ways. I, yeah, I was definitely feeling Jason. Yeah. I will have to say, though, uh, I love this dig towards TERFs, where it's like trans people of any sexuality not being affected by Saturation Day just made people be like, fuck TERFs even more. And I'm like, anytime, anytime we get fuck TERFs is just always a good time for me. Yeah, I loved that. Yeah. All right. So we're, we're on the road. And also why I'm like... I'm glad that Jason was prepared for this trip, but I'm like, no one else brought food. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, which lends lends credit to your he's older theory because he's like obviously dad friend, you know? They're all just like, no, he'll have it. It's fine. Yeah, it'll be fine. We'll get takeout. We'll have a drink. We'll go in the hot tub. It'll be great. And I'm like... Yeah, they're like, I brought the Scrabble and like the beer and (laughs) Jason's bringing everything else. (laughs) It's fine. Yeah, when he's just like, are y'all fucking kidding me about stopping at this scary-ass-looking western theme bar? Like, in the middle of the desert in California? Like, in rural California? I'm like, y'all. I know. I wouldn't go there even if it wasn't a zombie apocalypse of straight people trying to kill me, you know? I'm like, that sounds scary. Yeah, I feel like there are so many bars outside of or outside of any city in Michigan where I'm like, I bet it's cool in there, but I'm never going to go in there because I don't want to get beat up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yep. Yeah. Yeah. So we stop at the scary bar. We learn that there's a, a random dude. You, you said he was the bartender so there's the bartender and then there's the owner who walks and looks like a cowboy and then we have ricky and brandon who we find out their names later um and we get this like beautiful Chekhov's gun situation i highlight it because it made me laugh so much it's so good (laughs) it's so good so isaac like sees a gun on the wall and is like if this were a story, I'd be like, uh-oh, that's Chekhov's gun. And then, like, literally that gun is used not on him, but on Brandon in a situation. In the in the third act, which is in often where, yes. <laughs> which is where the Chekhov's gun comes back. Yeah, I'm just like, uh. it's a little it's a little bit of that, like, fourth wall breaking that we got from the first Harriet Porter books, just, like, peeking through. Yeah, yeah. It's really, really great. And yeah, they, all these straight dudes are like, yeah, we're all vaccinated. Two of them are telling the truth. One of them is not. One of them clearly hasn't been vaccinated or actually it seems like the vaccine is working um, 
sporadically so like cowboy hat dude might actually be vaccinated and it just isn't working so i don't know i feel like the i feel like the more cynical part of me is like no these motherfuckers are vexed i mean like specifically but it's like like the artist and his family i'm like weird kooky like artist is definitely probably weird anti-vaxxer chemtrails motherfucker yeah totally Yeah, we get to this Airbnb. They do not do what Jason says they should do, which is barricade themselves in and turn the lights off and just hunker down. Instead, they're like, let's play with our drone. Let's go in the hot tub. Let's drink some beer. And you're like, stop it. And like, it's terrible. The hot tub scene killed me. The first time I was reading this, I'm like, why are you going outside? Outside (laughs) is where the danger is. What was the point? Of putting up fucking black shoes in every window of your Airbnb. And you're just going to sit outside and drink beer the hot tub. I know. And they're like, well, it starts at like 8.02 exactly or whatever. And, you know, one of one of the best things, like I've read a lot of Chuck Tingle's stuff now. And it's like the things that we loved about Harriet Porber are like very consistent across his like, I don't know how to say this word. Oeuvre. Is that how you say that word? His body of work. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I've ever tried to say that out loud before. And it includes things like this really lovely recurring theme of Isaac being like, if we were in a horror movie, if we were characters in a horror movie, this would be our mistake. Do to do. Here we go doing the mistake. Because like, we're not, we're real people in a world where people have gotten vaccines and last year wasn't that bad so this year will be even better and it's a totally fine decision that we're making and then it's like no you are characters in a horror movie yeah (laughs) so good i know this is also why i'm like jason is aware that he is in a horror story and is trying to tell everyone like y'all but for real (laughs) yeah 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 it's not fun being the person being like, hey, stop having fun because this is a terrible, a terrible idea that you're doing. But like in situations like this, your your unfun dad friend is always right. And you should listen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like as the years progress and the sort of awareness about how fragile human life is the more and the more i become the like no why are we doing something dangerous like we could just go go in the hot tub when this is all over <laughs> right for real it'll still be there tomorrow <laughs> right you're clearly booked two nights at this airbnb so you might as well just right. wait until tomorrow night <laughs> drink beer on yeah. the floor and play boggle or whatever like yeah And it's interesting because there is this sort of theme of like, you know, we have to find a balance, like we can't like live in fear all of the time. And I I think that a lot of that is sort of speaking maybe to the pandemic where where I do feel like we have like literally the opposite of balance. Like we have people like you and I who are like, um, like your decision to not wear a mask is like literally eugenics. What are you doing? And then everyone else who's like, I'm not high risk. I won't wear a mask. And they're like, are very few people there. Like you and I can't like do the balance thing because like no one else is being balanced. And so like we're Jason and everyone else is like, I'll just stay home and hope everyone's vaccinated and it's fine. Right. I'll just, I'll just sleep through the, the, the cishet rage at my house. Right. Exactly. You know? Yeah, I actually was thinking about that because 
I, I mean, I had a, I had a, a thing in my notes. I'm just like, why would you guys go outside? Why would you stop at this fucking like heterosexual cowboy bar? And I'm like, the main characters do some unwise shit, but the blame really falls to all of these heterosexuals who like didn't secure themselves better, didn't get vaccinated, or some com- or some kind of what is it we say the uh, Swiss cheese of prevention, like right. who didn't do the many various things you could have done to have mitigated this and instead we're just like it'll be fine right and now you're gonna wake up naked in the middle of the desert covered in blood and probably gonna die of exposure because it gets fucking cold in the desert and sucks to be you you know yep. yeah so uh what what's their faces ricky and brandon are like lol let's go fuck with those queers that we saw at the bar that'll be fun and funny and then they almost get shot, and maybe it would have been nice if they had been shot. Though Brandon does turn out to be useful, un- unwittingly, unintentionally, or whatever. Yeah. Unwillingly, there we go. Unwillingly useful. Yeah. Yeah. Also, what a terrible prank. It's like, when they're like, no, it's okay, it's a prank, and then like Ricky gets like knifed in the neck with a like pitchfork, I'm like, bro, you deserve that. Not only, <laughs> like... Not only are you in the closet about your sexuality and have like managed to survive these two years. On the third year, you're like, I'm going to go with my with my buddy who I know for a fact is either vaccinated or heterosexual. And we're going to go, you know, pull a prank on these like leftist fucking city Antifa queers, you know, and then fucking and then just get, get to it. And like, dude, no sympathy for you. You had that coming. What were you thinking? You could have stayed at home and not been killed. Okay. So. You kind of started off sounding like uh, him being closeted was part of why he deserved to die, and I don't think that's oh, how sorry. you meant that to come no. across. No, I, he didn't deserve that he was closeted. He deserved to die because instead of staying his closeted ass at home, he decided to go murderously prank other queer people with his straight friend who was vaccinated and who wouldn't have been murdered by a vicious cishet person, zombie. Yeah. And then he does because he did not take precautions and he decided to be an asshole instead of being like, I'm going to stay home. Yeah, I think it's really interesting how sort of like all over the map we see Isaac go in terms of how he thinks about the overwhelmed, which is what the zombies are called, which like the one and only writing complaint that I have about this is that I really think it should be capitalized. Like, isn't Mm. that I also just think it would have helped me visually to like know what kind of overwhelmed i was looking at but yes i just was like every time i was like that should that should be a big case oh anyway (laughs) but yeah you know like he's he's like it's not their fault like they can't help what they're doing which like true and then you know jason is like they didn't get the vaccine that's their choice or like with ricky and brandon he's like they deserve to be harmed because they knew that they were here to like scare us and make us fear for our lives. And like, that's literally worse than if they had been overwhelmed and like watching Isaac sort of like process that and try to like go back and forth, which also makes a lot of sense because like he had to murder his brother in the first year. Um, I think it's just like really effectively done, you know? Yeah, and I really, I don't want to say this. It's really refreshing that Isaac really grapples with the sort of morality of harming 
the overwhelmed because it's like in 24 hours they're just gonna go back to being people who aren't in a murderous rage you know and like it it feels bad to try to like harm them in this state even though they're actively trying to murder me you know and I I mean I find his sort of just like deep well of empathy like very refreshing um and just as refreshing when we get later in the book where he's like you know what fuck (laughs) y'all which I'm also just like yeah at some point you know the empathy well runs dry you know Yeah, yeah. I mean, it made me think a lot about, like, again, werewolves in Buffy, where, you know, there's this, like, werewolf hunter in season two, who's like, you know, they're like animals, and Buffy's like, um, three days a month? Like, that's no. And that's true. But also, if, for instance, a werewolf is, like, intentionally trying to eat your girlfriend... And there's nothing else you can do because you don't have a tranquilizer dart available. Like, sometimes you just have to kill Veruca. Uh, right. Or like, if you're just like, I'm just going to run free and not try to contain myself or make myself right. not. It's like, you know that you're becoming a werewolf. And instead of taking precautions that are going to protect both you and other people, you're just like, fuck other people. I'm going to do what I want. Yeah. And since one thing you want to do is actively harm other people, sometimes... And if you don't have a tranquilizer gun, you do get shot because it's like you are a danger to other people. And and I'm saying that as in this like sort of fantastical case of like rage zombies and werewolves, obviously, because in IRL, people don't deserve to die for the terrible things that they do. I mean, but I think I think that like as allegory like we really especially in this book we really are looking at like what would this look like in the real world and i don't think that any of the characters i mean jason a little bit because i think he's like very jaded and very angry which is fine like i think his Mm. partner was murdered like i think i think we can safely assume that we don't get much into the details because it's a traumatic thing we don't even get details from isaac and we're in his perspective just like sort of his PTSD flashback about all of the blood on the floor of his apartment, you know? Right. I am having the strongest deja vu right now. Holy shit. (laughs) Deeply disorienting. This is wild. Chuck, what's happening right now? (laughs) Please explain this timeline glitch to me. It's a a glitch in the Matrix. Anyway. Um, Yeah, no, because I I think that what we're doing right now is like what Isaac goes through, through the whole book. And there's a while where like, he's just been like repeatedly toyed with by Brandon, where he's like, Brandon's abandoned him. And then he's like, come back and been like, I never abandoned you. I just like was lost. And then he's like, fuck off again. I got shot. I'm out. And then like, no, I really was trying to help. And then it's like, save me. Like the zombies trying to eat me. And like that it makes sense that in in the aftermath of that, he's like, no, fuck that guy, you know? Yeah. But also probably later, after more reflection, he's going to be like, did he deserve to die? Like, deserve is a really strong word. The answer is no. And I think that the answer is no. Like, these are 362 days out of the year. These are just people. They're not rage zombies. But they have put themselves in a position where it is like kill or be killed. And so like the word deserve, I think maybe doesn't make sense because that has a moral weight to it, but it's like you made a choice that like means that people have no choice but to kill you or they will be like 
dismembered and turned into modern art. You know? Exactly. It's like, it's not like Isaac is over having to grapple with these choices when all of these cishets have decided to wash their hands of it, essentially. Right. And it's like, yeah, like I, like you made a choice that brought you here and now I'm forced to make a choice I have to grapple with. And like, I don't have to be responsible for your, I don't have to be responsible for somehow saving you from your many steps of terribleness that you've done, you know? Right. Yeah, no, I think this is a really good conversation. And I think that the fact that this conversation is so like deep and nuanced is like really credit to how well constructed this book is. Yeah. um, Yeah. Folks, the book is, this book is not very long. I'm reading it on the Kindle app. So I actually have no idea how many pages it actually is. 129 pages. I think maybe you mentioned this before. It's 129 pages, but a lot is packed into 129 pages and it works because you don't really want a horror story to like drag on like you want you kind of want it to be like sharp and like tight so like you know things are happening and like thing things are happening both with the choices of our heroes but more often than night the thoughtless choices of others which mm-hmm. is also a pandemic mood sure is <sighs> yeah so let's see like we we talked really early on about sort of the horror being like mediated by like being kind of kind of funny in ways the it was such a great choice to have it be this like found art artist dude as the zombie that was like our main antagonist for Mm -hmm. a lot of the book because like i mean what he's doing gore gore warning everyone is fucking horrific like he is dismembering Ricky and turning him into a sculpture. But also, that's kind of funny. It is like the description of what he's doing and like, you know, the fact that these zombies, they're they're sort of only really able to like do things in a way that like makes sense in the life that they live. So it's like if you were a tow truck driver, you can drive while you're a zombie. But like if you were someone who just sort of like used a car like a normal person uses a car and it's not like a main thing that you do, then like you probably can't drive in your zombie state, you know? Mm. This dude makes art out of found objects. Now that he's a zombie, the found objects are human body parts, but he's still just making art. And it's very clever. <laughs> it is very funny. I just I kept thinking about <laughs> I feel really bad. Whoever has to come and clean up this Airbnb the next day is just going to be like, I don't get paid enough for this. Please hire someone else. This is not going to happen. Definitely. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, I know. It is. It is very gross, but very evocative. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, do you want to talk about this drone? Yes. So, uh, while they're all stuck in this, like, little loft bedroom, and this artist zombie is making some very gruesome art out of Ricky, our closet case, uh, Hazel's like, yo, I have this drone in my room. Maybe we can use it to lure this artist and his, his whole family is here now, at this point. 
And one of the kids has Jason's gun because he dropped it, unfortunately. Also really good political commentary, because if you can only do things that you're used to doing in your real life, that means that, like, these parents have been teaching this, like, five-year-old how to use a shotgun, question mark. Yeah, it's it's actually, it, yeah, I like it a lot, because especially because we, when we first pull up and they see, a, like, a cabin, or they fly the drone over and they're hot, when they're in the hot tub and they see it's, like, this old artist who does, like, weird found art objects. It's like... Oh, he's an artist. He's probably a liberal. And it's like, maybe, maybe so. But it doesn't mean that this right dude isn't out, you know, with his son in a shotgun every weekend or like doesn't believe in vaccines, you know? Yeah. Cis hat leftists can still be scary individuals if you're queer, uh, which is yeah. an unfortunate thing, of course. But not every not every weirdo artist is going to be your friend, you know? Yeah, I even, yeah, like, assuming that someone is liberal just because they make weird art is the kind of thing that someone who's never lived in rural Kentucky would believe. But as someone who has, let me tell you, (laughs) there's a lot of terrible conservatives who make cool art out there in the world. Yeah. And then, of course, Jason has this slight vindication of being like he was right about his paranoia. Yeah. Yeah, um, but so they have this drone, and they um, tie a rainbow elastic band from Nora's bra to it, and uh, Jason's phone playing, like, it sounds like he has, like, three gay enough songs. Which I love. I love love the idea of him scrolling through his phone being like, is Queen going to be gay enough that heterosexuals love Queen? (laughs) Like, is the killer going to be queer enough? I don't know. Like, who? what's going to be queer enough? <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah, they, like, lure the zombies away with a rainbow, a rainbow band and RuPaul, which I think is fucking hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. I laughed so hard, though, when it was fucking... <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So at this point... We basically like enter this roller coaster with Brandon that I think is great. And there's a lot of conversation in the book that is like about like allyship and sort of like conditional allyship. I won't say I don't think like performative necessarily, but like conditional and like we protect us kind of like you know, allies are all fine and good, but like, it's always just going to be us. And I actually think that there's a really interesting potential conversation to be had in the allyship versus accomplice conversation here, because like, Brandon is being given a moment here to like, decide which one of those things he is like, is he an ally or is he an accomplice? And he can't decide. And like, we watch him waffle Waffle. all over the place. (laughs) Yeah, we sure, we sure do. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting. And I, um, I would like to talk about it if you're open to that. I am definitely in to talking about. I feel like a lot of the highlighted notes that I have between, yeah, like once they escape their Airbnb, but before they show up in Palm Springs, is a lot about Brandon and his inability to commit to 
being an ally. Yeah. And we we get our first bit when they roll up to this bar, to the saloon, and Brandon is somehow shocked that everyone's like, no, you're going to get the gas, my dude, from the bar, because the zombies aren't trying to fucking kill you, you know? Yeah. Also, you work here. Yeah. <laughs> You're the only one who knows You know where, it is. where this shit is. You work here. Also, no one's trying to fucking murder you to go get it. Like, right. get out of the car. And he fights it, even though I'm like, this seems like a very low, like a very clear, lo- like, not like low stakes, because he's afraid of that, of the artist coming after him. But I'm right. like, this still seems very low stakes for you my dude yeah because they drove like miles at least like that dude can't walk there nearly as fast as as they drove there so yeah it really is it's like yeah you're afraid of him but he's like not here <laughs> like can't be here for a while so right and that's just like one dude versus the like potential dozens of people in this area that like want to kill nora and isaac and hazel right so, yeah i mean like basically have to bully him into it <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And actually, I want to know if you think, like, was he legitimately trying to find the gas the whole time or was he like hiding in that closet and just was like, no, 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 I was trying to find it when Isaac got there to be like, what the fuck are you doing? Um, I assume I also I also I did assume that he was like sort of stalling because I'm like, even if it's like a big ass ring of keys, it would not take you half an hour to go through. Yeah. All of them. If you were being honest about your intentions, you know. Yeah. No, I just think he's a, like, cowardly-ass motherfucker. Yeah. And the fact that everyone saved him from also being murdered back at the Airbnb, and he's still just like, oh, I can't go get the gas. It's like, when if that guy comes back for me? And it's like, what are you doing here, dude? Like, are you, are you an ally? Oh, you're not, because you won't do the, like, a moderately difficult thing. Right. That, like, is low danger for you, but high danger for the rest of us. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And well, so that's kind of what I mean about the like ally accomplice divide, right? Because like I I kind of feel like the lie so he's like got the vaccine, that's an act of allyship. The like there's a lot of selfish incentive to get this vaccine also because like not wanting to be a murderer is like a strong a strong reason to get yeah. vaccinated. Or not wanting I don't know some queer person to shoot you in the back you know yeah that too to protect themselves against you so yeah so it is it is selfish it says a lot about me that i'm like it would be so terrible to like know that you had killed someone that's like way more concerning to me than like i might get killed in the process of that i'm like i would rather be murdered in the process of trying to murder someone than have to live with the knowledge of having murdered someone anyway yeah but yeah, you know, he's like, I I think that he's a very bad ally, you know, because like he came to like harass and fuck with them at the beginning of this. He like is horrified by the idea of Ricky having actually been queer, all of that. But I think that when I think about what allyship is, it's like, yeah, I'll like speak up for you in public and like I'll like vote the right way and I will, you know, get this vaccine, whatever. You move into accomplice territory where you're like, no, I'm going to go get the gas. Like, I'm going to, you know, try to fight off this zombie because like he's not after me. Like, whatever. Those are those are acts of 
being an accomplice that he's like, I'm not, that's not where I am. And like, I think that's why sort of the conversation is always like, you need to do more than be an ally, you know, like being an ally is like step, step one, but like, that's not, that's not enough, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like how it's like, we could have avoided so much bullshit if he would just gotten the gas, put in the car and they're like, all right, I'm out. You know, I have this bat, like, you know, I'm ready to help defend us all against the zombies. Right. Right. That would that would be an active accomplice in keeping our characters safe and right. himself safe, honestly. And instead, he is only an, an only an ally when it doesn't directly mean that he has to stand up against the uh overarching uh monsterness of Sid, of Sizhet rage and he's like actually this is not my fault this is this is not my fight and then right. it's like that got you killed my dude <laughs> like yeah. you didn't know it but you, you could have avoided all of this literally all of this if you just wouldn't have been like i'm gonna step up and just do the thing do the correct right. like brave thing yeah so exactly so then jason's not dead <laughs> i don't know is there anything between um i have a couple of things i love so isaac's in this menacing western town and there's because of course there is just some gallows right in the middle of this fucking town which i'm like that is the most ridiculous white people bullshit i've seen where it's like no no one doing this ever considered that maybe it would be a terrible idea just to have some nooses up in your tourist attraction and that, I don't know, the history of the United States and lynching would maybe mean that you shouldn't have done that. Um, but no, they're just like, it's part of the whole vibe. Right. And, oh my God, when Isaac sees it, I'm like, you're in danger, turn back. <laughs> He's like, no! <laughs> like, yeah. how much of an omen do you need and then of course this is also where brandon could have helped isaac but then immediate is like i'm out i i'm gonna just like this so-called ally is like i can't do this yeah you're on your you're on your own good luck being murdered he does get shot i think we do have to say that yes is the thing that makes him peace out but like not bad not bad i mean yeah he shot in the arm which I granted yeah. I've not been shot. I'm sure that hurts, but that is not a fatal wound, unlike being strangulated by being hung off of this gala, which is what Isaac is actively is actively happening to him. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it really is like in in the context of the situation that they're in, like it's like the equivalent of being like, Oh yeah, I was gonna like help you, but I got a paper cut, so like I'm out. Never mind, it's not worth it, you know? You're like yeah. literally, literally, that is not that is not a reason to stop helping right now. So. Right, and then this leads to this point where Isaac thinks that he's about he's about to die, and he's sort of reflecting on his own sort of gay rage that maybe he's been trying to not focus on. And I just kind of, I just kind of want to read this. <clears throat> 
Now that I won't have to live with myself much longer, I guess I can finally admit that maybe this anger and frustration has been lurking for a while. Maybe it's been simmering since the first time I was told that I wasn't really bisexual because I'd only kissed a girl at that point. Maybe it's been simmering since Jason was asked to leave a restaurant for holding hands on a date. Maybe it's been simmering since someone insisted Nora was just going through a phase and told Hazel that she didn't really understand who she was. Maybe I've been livid the whole time and now I finally give myself permission to feel it and i'm like yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i'm glad that we get that this point where like optimistic empathetic isaac is like oh i didn't realize how much rage i have against the injustice the deep injustice of what me and my queer family have to go through and like how like just like the weight of that rage of just thinking about how and in this case, very literally, says hats are trying to kill us. <laughs> you know? Right. And I, I I already liked I already liked Isaac, but I was just kind of like, wow, I feel that I feel that so hard. Yep. And then just sort of like, you know, once Hazel and Nora destroy the gallows and then just Isaac is just like overcome with this sort of just like rage about just being like i just want to live my fucking life i want to be left alone but i can't do that because ev because y'all are just decided that that didn't matter right and i'm like what a powerful awakening to have in this horror novel in this horror novel you know yeah 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 i think it's really incredible yeah and obviously just part of this i think larger understandable rage of like as isaac says having not being responsible for cleaning up your cishet bullshit. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. So then I think, I think you mentioned this in the summary. Um, once Jason shows up with a truck and is like getting everyone out of there, Brandon sort of reappears and is being chased by the artist that is upset with him for trying to fight him. And we watch Isaac go through this, like, fuck this guy but like should i try to save him and like just this like i this is one of my favorite lines in the book where he's like he decides to let him into the truck and he says he's a lucky man not because i've forgiven him but because i was never like him in the first place and i think that's so fucking powerful and it made me think of the episode of doctor who the doctor's daughter when after the like sort of antagonist guy uh accidentally shoots the doctor's like newly generated daughter and she's dead david Tennant like gets the gun and is like pointing it at him and he's so fucking upset because like for a brief moment he wasn't the last of his species right. and then that was taken away from him and he like puts the gun down and is like i never would and when you create this new civilization that you're about to create, make the model of your society a man who never would. And like, I feel like those that's the vibe of this is like, this is this is this, the foundation of a strong society is like, I, I was never like Brandon in the first place. So of course, I'm going to try to fucking save him. Yeah. Did that make as much sense out loud as it made in my head? No, no, exactly. And the kind of importance of being, I think that, 
you don't have to forgive people to still do the correct, decent thing. I mean, like, right. Isaac shouldn't forgive Brandon because Brandon fucked it up royally. Yeah, I mean, he left him for dead. Literally. Multiple times. Right. Like, multiple times has done this. And yeah, but it's like, that's not, that's not who, that's not who Isaac is. Like, it's just, I, all of the things that Brandon has done, Isaac would never. Literally right. just like would have ne- like would never even occur to him to do. Right. So and yeah, right. And just like I think that Doctor Who example was very lovely. Cause like, yeah, it's like I would never, even in the like darkest part, like the dark like the darkest day and the most enragey, pain filled day of my life. It's like I would literally never do that. You right. Know? Which I feel like obviously cannot be said for <laughs> so many people in this book. Right. Yeah, so then we go to Palm Springs, where their uh, security is both a lot and very loose. <laughs> yeah, there, so there's then there's this moment where Jason, who of course is was even earlier in this book reading a zombie novel, is just like, "Oh no, we've made it this far. What if they're just like, fuck you guys? You're not, you don't have forty five k to enter our safe zone. Sucks to be you." Which I think in a lot of post-apocalyptic media that would have happened and i and i think to sort of connect it to like what happens once we get into palm springs which is thankfully they're not like that they're like yeah come on in like you know yeah because <laughs> they're like after asking the very uh careful screening question is everyone in the car queer <laughs> <laughs> Is that enough? Like, do you... <laughs> I mean, I think for some people it is enough. I think for some people, if you had asked, are you queer, you would, they would reflectively be like, no. You know? Like, it might be. Like, Maybe. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Heterosexuality is a hell of a drug. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. That's true. <laughs> um, sorry, I interrupted you. Please continue. And so we, you know... The guards are like, come on in. And it's essentially just a pride happening. There's like music and like dancing and everyone has like a majority alcoholic beverages, but probably some non-alcoholic beverages too for people who are sober. And it's just like, oh, welcome to the party. And it's just like, wait, what a total shift. <laughs> yeah. But also, of course. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, the cores are so predictable. It's like, oh, we're going to some terrible is happening we might as well we need to party and it's like that is correct yeah yeah and i and and the moral of the end of the book is is very like we take care of us you know like of course of course it was never going to be jason says like we're going to find out that humans were the monsters all along i have like a very strong moral quandary with the sort of vibe of this being like the positive message that it I think is maybe supposed to be basically because like we learned like they didn't go there because you needed $45,000 to get entry to Mm. and like I'm sure it was very expensive to set up everything to like make it so that all of the people who like the cishets who live there were like safely contained even if they're vaccinated like I I believe that that was a very expensive thing to do I think that We Take Care of Us would have looked like crowdfunding that money and then like setting up 
buses in every city, like everywhere, to like make sure that all of the queer people can be inside of a safe zone. Because like, you know, 30 to 40% of the houseless population are queer people. And like a high percentage of those people are kids. And like, I I don't think there is anything like revolutionary about like letting the people who couldn't afford advance tickets, but who managed to escape the people trying to murder them in at the last minute. Like, I think actual like revolutionary queers taking care of each other action looks like real community care. I think you're completely correct. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, yeah, there's a, yeah. What about the people who can't make it to Palm Springs, you know? Yeah. If you don't have a car, if you don't have an enormous savings account, if you, you know, I mean, like, queer people are like among the most vulnerable in society, not just because of like stigma, well, because of stigma in a systemic way, but like not just because like being out in the world is unsafe in a like deeply stigmatized society, but also because that like affects jobs and housing and finances and like accessibility and only protecting the queers that have 45,000 spare dollars is sort of um, selectively choosing what kind of queer people you think deserve to continue being alive. Yeah. Which I feel like, unfortunately, also feels like a microcosm of yeah, no, queer, I mean, it's queer like politics. A, this, <laughs> is, this is some, like, capitalist or capitalism, like, infiltrating our ability to take care of each other kind of bullshit and i think it's very realistic but i also think it's like pretty awful yeah that is i don't know why it didn't even occur to me i feel like i was looking at it more meta e just because it's like you know i can think of a big difference between other zombie stories and this one Mm -hmm. and i just think about how many zombie stories are created by like cishet white dudes and like the ideal of what people will do to one another in a crisis is very bleak, you know, like that's, that's literally the whole point of like the walking dead, which is a very bleak show. Right. Yeah. I feel like when you have stories, not just written by cishet white dudes, you get uh, other ideas of like what, how, about how, about how a story can end, how a zombie apocalypse doesn't have to be like, you know, all humans are terrible and we're the real monsters and good luck surviving unless you have a giant gun and are very ruthless. You know, it can right. just be like you can be nice and empathetic and still and other people will be empathetic to you and you will still survive to drink a mimosa another day, you know, for another day. Yeah. But I do I do agree with your like criticism of sort of like overall the sort of idea of like, yes, but what if you're a poor queer <laughs> or like. Yeah, right. Or like a homeless queer person. It's just like, yeah. Yeah, I just, um, like, I think it's a very lovely ending. I just like, yeah, sorry. I feel like I'm ending us on a bummer, but. I mean, I don't think so. I mean, I think it is, I think it's important to talk about that because I think that, and there's always, I think, in like U.S. queer politics always just sort of been a dichotomy of being like we're doing we're, we're like we're doing some good stuff for the whole community but it's like the whole community 
asterisk except for poor people, brown people, trans people, you know, enter yeah. other like marginalized intersections. And maybe it would have been great to get a little bit more of that nuance in this ending, which, I mean, again, all of our queer heroes live, which is great. All of our queer main characters make it to the end. And all the characters we don't like get some sort of uh, comeuppance for being terrible, which is like, all right, cool. Yeah. Um, okay. I have taken us really down i'm sorry you did you make all of your jokes already i do want to say that i love when i love that jason comes back and he rolls up having hot wire truck and is like i made it out by playing ymca on from my smartwatch on on the drone which is again this the choice (laughs) musical choices (laughs) of what we get in this book is awesome and just the visual of a bunch of like blood covered zombies like running after a drone that's playing YMCA <laughs> so good brings me uh, so much fucking joy you know the fact that Jason knows how to hotwire a car makes me feel like he might even be Gen X like this was someone who was like going to punk clubs in the 80s and is like that's that's why he has the wrong kind of music on his phone and also is why is why he's the one that's like no we have to fight because he's like no i've been like fucking punching nazis since 1985 you weren't even born yet children you know yeah the value of intergenerational friendships which we keep coming back to even though there was a conversation we had off the air and we reference it like it's something that we said on the record and i think (laughs) that's really funny (laughs) it's really important to have uh intergenerational friendships and here is and uh jason is exactly one of the reasons why (laughs) um because you know everyone brings different skills to the zombie apocalypse and yeah Jason definitely brings a Gen X vibe of fuck this noise. <laughs> yeah, like this is a man who has like still in his closet that he doesn't wear anymore, but like a ratty, super well-loved Nazi punks fuck off shirt, you know? Yeah. I love him. And, some prob- <laughs> and probably some very funny stick and poke tattoos. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Okay. Any closing thoughts? Just the just the last line of this book, which is, we've made it this far because of each other. Mm, yeah. So yeah, if you want, uh, you know, some hope punk in your life, <laughs> this book is it. Good book. Do you recommend? Ten, ten out of ten. Would read again. Yeah, I would give this like seven out of ten spookies. Maybe even six. If you can watch Buffy, I think you can handle this book. Yeah, I think the gore level, I think I've definitely experienced more gore on just like regular ass network television, not even like cable TV. So, yes. And obviously the whole book vibe is sort of about violence against queer people, but all of our queer folks persevere in the end. So, yeah, I think think that helps, you know. Yeah. All right, y'all, now it is time for our conversation with Chuck Tingle about this book. As always, it was absolutely wonderful to talk with him, and we are so excited to share this with all of you. 
Chuck, welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us again for a very exciting interview. I am so, I am glad to be here. I'm glad we get to touch base. It sounds like about once a year and I, it makes me think, makes me think that I've got to keep up my writing schedule uh, to make sure that we have something to then talk about. Uh, so I'm going to keep going and then uh, hopefully I get to come back. I, I am glad because there has not been a new Harriet Porter, but, uh, but we still get to, we still get to chat. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, us too. We are both people for whom the holidays are kind of like, ugh. And so doing like fun, special stuff on the podcast in December, um, both for our listeners, but honestly, it's kind of more for us so that we're like, work feels special (laughs) and like different right now so that it's more, more exciting. Get us through the, the cold, dark months. I understand. Yeah. So... We would love to start by just asking you, like, broadly about your relationship with, like, the genre of horror and, like, what it means to you. Oh, um, well, I listened to uh, your review episode. Dang, it was good. There have been a few podcasts to talk about uh, straight, and I will say, uh, you both, uh, the the themes and the things that you picked up on were... um very uh impressive i I shouldn't be impressed because i've talked to you before you're both uh, very smart but i was just kind of blown away by how how good uh, of an episode that was how much came across it kind of made me it made me flattered and and i think maybe uh, as a a queer buckaroos can kind of zero in on some of the themes more uh, and that actually makes me feel good because I, they, this is the community that I want to write for. Um, so that I would just want to start off by saying that that's a bit of a tangent, but I was very flattered by your previous analysis. Thank you. Thank you. Um, your email saying that we did a good job reading your book, honestly, like, I was like, oh, I, I, I don't think I could have anticipated how validating it feels to have an author tell me that I did a good job reading their book, but like, wow, that feels really good. <laughs> well, uh, I, think, uh, I think the most interesting uh, part, actually, even you, there, I will get to this because we've got to go in order. Your only real criticism was, um, was about the ending, and I think that is definitely um, a good criticism and one... One we should discuss. I think we should take our time with it. Uh, but um, I would, I have thoughts about it, and I want to hear your opinions. But I think that your observations, um, actually both of you, uh, both interpretations of uh, what you would have liked to see from the ending, uh, I think were very good. Uh, I got to stop just flattering you. But I, I, have to talk, I gotta answer a dang question. Uh, This interview actually can go however. We have questions just in case we need them, honestly. So we can just talk about it however you want to talk about it. Yeah. I I think, well, the opening was good. I won't ramble too much, but I will say that um, uh, horror has always been something that I uh, very much enjoy. I would say probably favorite genre of Chuck. Um, Because I have always enjoyed art that uh, was kind of... um, on the, the edge, um, on the fringe of what is uh, acceptable in ways. And, and uh, because of that, um, erotica is part of that, obviously. And so is horror. They are both kind of uh, culturally transgressive, um, dealing with uh, things, whether it is 
um, violence or sex that can get you a, a R rating and, and things that um, I think society is kind of shies away from. So that is always where I like to dabble artistically. And what, what I like about horror, I've kind of divided into two sections. Um, I think that um, it, is, it is essentially two genres to me. Uh, and I will lay out the versions. The first first version um, I see is kind of like a very difficult um, journey, maybe a roller coaster ride that scares you and you don't really want to be on it. But And, and maybe even roller coaster is a, a bad uh, name for it because I think ultimately there's some horror that is meant to be kind of um, painful to experience. Uh, it is a test, maybe a, a spicy sauce where you come out the other side not feeling very great. You've been put through the ringer, all the characters died, and it was very grisly and gory, and you're upset. Um, and uh, Buckaroos can kind of enjoy that in a sort of a punk rock way. I survived this. Um, and that is one version of the genre that, that um, I still enjoy from time to time. But my, the other way that I enjoy more is um, what I call the catharsis version of horror, which is when you sit down to, to hear the story and you're not sure if it's going to be the first version and what it ends up being is um, you put your characters in these situations and then right when you think that, uh, that it's going to end up being the one that really upsets you, they turn the tables and it can really um, kind of be these big feelings of um, relief uh, uh, as they overcome these obstacles and you're cheering uh, and, and that can be very cathartic. And so the balance of the genre is coming in and never knowing which one you're going to get. Um, and I very intentionally uh, wrote straight to be the second one for uh, Queer Buckaroos, actually. Yeah, I think that definitely comes across. I mean, like we talked about in the episode, uh, I am I'm not a horror person. But I do, I like things like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which I think is very much that sort of like community coming together to like defeat evil kind of thing. And so like, I felt, I felt like straight fit into that category of things where it's like, yeah, upsetting things are happening, but like sort of the main point is like our character, it's like character driven. And I don't know that that really helped make it feel palatable for me I, I, i'm glad glad you enjoy and i'm glad uh, that the the messages resonated i guess uh, i was saying earlier spicy food is maybe the good that's the good analysis is we all have different levels and some people just do not like spice and some some buckaroos want the whole dang bottle and some say i'm just gonna have a little dang uh, buffy the vampire slayer it, it can be a vampire but it's gotta be a handsome boy named spike <laughs> And then I can then I can tolerate. <laughs> all are all are valid, and they're all scratching the same kind of itch. I think. I think it's really good to know that all three of us are uh, in the same opinion of which is the better uh, vampire boyfriend <laughs> from Buffy. So. <laughs> wow. Yes. Well, I, well, I will say, um, I am not super familiar with. Buffy, but um, I I was thinking about this because I think you mentioned Buffy in in the last one. Um, a little a little exclusive. I will say that um, so I, when I signed this dang book deal for Camp Damascus with the uh, Nightfire, which is my my horror publisher now, um, 
that's coming out this year and then after that there's a, a second book they, they bought two books from chuck and the second one is called barrier gaze uh which i'm sure you're familiar with that term in media yeah. uh and um i i'm very much trying to not talk about anything about it and leave the mystery because um i think when buckaroos find out what it is about they're gonna really uh get excited but i will say um i think that buckaroos who know the show buffy when they find out the character names of barrier gaze will um have an idea what it's about and kind of get excited and uh, they, they would also maybe when they learn the character names if they have watched the show um uh supernatural they will also um say uh whoa well, well, what the what the heck and that's the most the most mystery i can give is that uh, the character names if you're familiar with certain tv shows i think give a lot away on uh, barrier games i am now like doubly more excited about barrier gaze it's sort of how i feel whenever jordan peele releases the poster for his new movie and it's always just like here's some weird iconography and then like a one word sentence and you're like what is this about i don't understand what's happening <laughs> but you're still oh, excited thank you <laughs> yes I'm, i am I, that's a great mention because honestly i've i've enjoyed horror my, my whole, whole life but if there was one i think touchstone that i draw from when i am uh, trying to uh, write because I'm trying to write queer horror. I'm trying to write horror for a, a marginalized group. And um, Jordan Peele does that as well um, uh, uh, for a different uh, marginalized group, but he does it so dang well uh, that that is really, when I'm thinking of plots, um, he is probably my number one touchstone of how am I going to dang pull this off and um, not punish an audience that is... Uh, punished in their daily lives. Um, well, how am I going to give the audience an enjoyable trip when a lot of these horrors we are writing about are things that uh, are, are real are real life for these communities? And, and I'm glad you mentioned that because that, that is my number one for sure is uh, Jordan Peele when I think about how to do that. Yeah, he's like one of my top favorite people doing horror right now just because I'm just like everything oh, yeah. he's been connected with has just been so solid. Uh, oh yes. Uh, um, which actually, this is a, a good transition. Uh, I actually just really wanted to know. So, like, what inspired you to sort of go from the uh, erotic tinglers into writing some horror stories? Um. Well, actually, uh, I always wanted to because, like I said, um, it is a genre that I have always that I have always loved. Um, and uh, I also love um, romance and erotica, and and I and I love writing tinglers um, as a sort of big, big, giant, sprawling project that means so much to me and and was very moving to me, and, and I put my whole dang heart and butt into it. But transitioning to uh, horror was something that I wanted to do, but never uh, thought was possible because I knew I still write, wanted to write queer stories. And in my head, I kept on bumping up against, well, um, is this community really, uh, is there a reason to be writing stories where queer people are getting murdered uh, and, and terrible things are happening to queer people? And forever I thought, 
well, no, I, I might love horror, but I, I don't think I need to write that. And I think actually Jordan Peele um, uh, really inspired me to realize, well, there's other ways you can approach this genre. Um, it doesn't just have to be the, how big's the body count? How gory is it gonna be? Um, you can talk about other issues. And at, at that point, when, when the audience says, well, it's just, just gonna really hurt my soul or is it going to elevate me and be cathartic? Um, I started thinking, I wanna write that kind of horror. So, um, so actually it really was just thinking about um, projects of Jordan Peele that really made me start thinking, wow, well, there is a way that I can do this and tell these stories. Uh, that I think will be uh, prove love, actually. And what a story it is. It's so good. <laughs> it is so good. Oh, dang. Thank you. Uh... Speaking of, uh, thinking of a, a director influencing uh, Chuck, the, 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 the only mystery that remains for me was straight as, why the heck no one has bought the rights to make a dang movie? I feel like it would be such a good thing um movie right? and that's all i ever think about with it it would be an excellent movie i would also totally read a whole graphic novel of straight mm. also oh yes yes i think um what is funny is that with my horror i i well i am not the i'm a big writer not a big reader um i will do some audiobooks i think maybe as part of my brain i don't know if this is part of my autism way too but i just cannot I get very distracted um, reading books. My mind starts to wander and I look down and I think, oh, I've read three pages and retained zero of it. Um, so a lot of my art consumption is film. And um, a, a lot of the stories that I tell when I write them, uh, it is all based on the beats of film. And I think that I think of things as set pieces, which is very film. So um I can see why actually graphic novel would, tr would translate too, because so much of that is um, imagery and there, there's just kind of a different uh, pacing for that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I can watch way or read, look at way gorier stuff in a graphic novel than I can in a movie too. So I'm, I'm team graphic novel. I don't think I could watch straight as a movie. I'm pretty sure. I don't know what it is about the visuals that makes it too much for me. It would it would be very suspenseful, so I would I would I would totally watch it. <laughs> well, we will then see because now now that I have signed um, this deal with um, with Tor Nightfire for these horror novels, and I have a film agent who takes my uh, books and takes them around and says, "Hey, you want to make a movie out of this?" So um, I, I guess. I guess I wouldn't be surprised. Although I do know that um, when someone buys the rights to a, a book, the chances of that uh, actually becoming a, uh, a thing on the screen are still about 100 to 1. A lot of things get bought and then never made. So who, who the heck knows? But at least there is a dang system in place with Camp Damascus coming up that, um, gosh, wouldn't that be a treat to uh, see the old Chuck's name on the silver screen? Yeah. Yeah, we weirdly don't have like specific questions about the book or like related to our episode that we wrote down because oh, yes. we were, I don't know, having a hard time brainstorming. But I do 
want to talk with you about like our discussion of the book. So I guess I should just open the floor to you, maybe. Oh, yes. Okay, well, um, I would say uh, you, gosh, you covered so dang much, and it was a very good, very good episode. I would say um, if uh, Buckaroos are listening and have not uh, listened to that episode, they, they should probably listen to it first. I, but also, probably l- listen to then read the book first, uh, because a big spoiler episode, but it's a short book. It is a novella. Uh, so it's dang pretty pretty dang quick um but i would say that um let's see uh i think that um theme of the book uh and and something that i will say you both seem to get and others complained about and maybe that is the first interesting thing to talk about regarding your commentary is that um a lot of buckaroos complained about um i think the biggest critique that that people kind of push aside and like, it's okay, it's horror, um, is the lack of preparedness. Um, but I think that um, you touched on something important, which is kind of the point of what I was trying to get at. Um, and the theme of the book is, um, this is the third year of this. And at a certain point, I feel like the queer community, uh, metaphorically and I guess literally in the book, has to start saying, um, we're just going to live our lives. And we can't um, we can't hide anymore. Uh, and so part of part of the lack of preparedness, I thought, was kind of um, in the sense of uh, uh, that theme. And then also something you picked up on um, was that Jason was in charge of getting most things, and all he brings is the gun. <laughs> and I think that that is. Um, that is a character flaw that is intentional, and I think not a lot of other buckers pick up on that. So I would say that that is um, first thing I thought you you did very well of observing. I guess I could just see. I could just envision like my group of friends and being like, "There's." I felt there's always the one person who is like, "Oh, for going camping, someone's bringing like even though we're all bringing food, someone's bringing like the utensils and the condiments and all the stuff." So I'm like, "All right, well." <laughs> Jason yes. is the deaf, right? So they're like, he has it. Yes. That's fine. <laughs> exactly. And that's, I think that's almost a, a queer community thing. If you have a sort of a found family, um, and, and it is uh, queer, they, they, I think a lot of buckaroos uh, can read this and think, oh, I know a Jason for dang sure. And then as far as um, the, uh, another thing, you, you, you both um, uh, notice that, um, Although it's not, I don't think it's actually said, it, he is definitely older than the rest. And what I was kind of trying to do there, I think maybe the most delicate um, thing that I was talking about is, you know, you have this group of the different, let's call them the different letters of a queer spectrum. And we kind of cover them all. And it's almost like there's a little representative from each group. And I think that um, there is a sort of, in these circles, um, the uh, fifth um, white older uh, gay man uh, who uh, in a lot of ways um, were dealing with a lot of this stuff for a long time because they're older and also um, lived through the AIDS uh, uh, epidemic uh, has kind of a different um, attitude that is at odds with a lot of the younger uh, queer community as, as these things evolve. And so I kind of wanted Jason to be a representative of that 
person who in some ways is very frustrating and in the beginning of the book um, says some kind of disparaging uh, things, uh, unkind things about, you know, Isaac uh, for being bi and uh, Hazel and being trans. And, and so you start off on that foot and then as the story goes and everyone kind of learns and, and grows, uh, you see that, oh, okay, there is also things, wow, we, we're going to reject that part of that. There's also things that a lot of them, this uh, section of the older queer community can actually help with and, and be like, the, yeah, we, we did live through AIDS. Like, you, you, you will have no idea, uh, you young buckaroos, uh, what that was like and how that made us um, afraid and how we need to take things a lot more seriously and all these different things. So I kind of wanted Jason to represent that perspective uh, for for the good and bad sides of that. Yeah, I think he, def- like that's definitely how he came across to me in the book and obviously to Jesse also. Um I, I'm sorry, I just got so dang heavy. No, I was just trying to, um, I wanted to know what, like, whether or not it's true that Jason was like a, you know, hardcore punk rocker in the 80s. <laughs> That's really important to me. We had a whole backstory for him, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> I think, um, I, I think that, uh, I, I, I saw him as, um, uh, definitely, uh, definitely hit the gym. And I think that that you say, what kind of a gym music? Uh, And I could definitely see him uh, listening to some, uh, maybe some Black Flag or something, uh, maybe back in the 80s. Um, And and that uh, it kind of evolves out of that. But uh, yes, he's definitely the one who's going to... He's just the he's just the more aggressive one of the group um, because you know he's been through a lot and and so uh, you know that kind of just uh, that will that will paint your 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 character in a lot of ways um, and uh, yes I, I think uh, also other thing that I, I noticed uh, you picking up on was um, uh, the fact that um, the artist uh, who comes in uh, is. And, you know, it's questionable whether they are liberal or conservative. And um, yeah, what's interesting is uh, I think that in previous episode, you, you both um, kind of left it open. I think you were heading towards, oh, well, he's out in the dang desert. So even if he is an artist, he's going to be dang conservative. I think the way I thought about it was he, he probably was a dang liberal, but in the sort of... Um, uh, well, you know, when we were all getting uh, vaccines for COVID, there were a lot of liberals who did not want to get the vaccines because they were um, kind of a uh, hippie type folks. Yeah. So um, it's kind of important, I think, for me to make uh, the main antagonist. It was very, it would have been very easy to make the main antagonist very conservative, uh, but I very much wanted uh, him to be uh, liberal in, in in just the sense that um, I think that these things are, are kind of more insidious uh, when they are coming from a side that you can kind of, you think that, they, that they're going to be understanding, but they're not. Uh, the conservative side is kind of, in some ways, you got to say, well, at least it's obvious and it's on the surface. Right. Um, I think that that, speaking of Jordan Peele, the most genius thing about Get Out is that the family is liberal and, and they all talk about how much they love Obama 
and all this stuff. Um, that that movie, I do not think that movie sings and resonates the way it does if that family were scary conservative family. Yeah. That's the genius of it. And so I kind of thought about that with Straight, where I thought, well, it's just going to be this kind of desert artist guy, kind of a groovy guy. Um, and, you know, yeah. And I, also there are elements of Camp Damascus. Um, the uh, the church in that um, is a pretty groovy uh, liberal church, uh, too. So that is kind of, I just kind of uh, like it when things are more nuanced. We, we've seen Dang Gromp all over the news for for dang years we know that he's a bad guy so um i just kind of wanted to throw in some more nuance there yeah when you were saying that i was like that artist definitely still has a like obama biden sticker but also is convinced that like 5g is killing bees and like chemtrails are real and like i think oh yes yes i feel like it's really easy in left circles to meet people who are like that where you're like you're so close (laughs) yeah but also exactly Or, or maybe a, a like a ding, a, a Jill Stein Green Party sticker or something like that, and they're brewing their own kombucha or uh, other right. other ways. Um, but um, and, you know, the thing is, is we're we're all we are all uh, people, and 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 all these different groups. Um, I just spent so much time online. Um, dang railing against dang conservatives and i've written so many dang books where trump is literally in the title everyone knows and so i just kind of wanted to take on and plus we, we also when they get to the dang bar with uh brandon and ricky and all of them they are pretty clearly conservative so we already got that base covered all yeah right, right. yeah um so one of our listeners wanted to know like for you, what is the connection between horror stories and like your sort of mission of proving that love is real? Um, well, I, I think that um, that love uh, being real, uh, it's very easy to prove love on a happy day where everyone's getting along. Um, and uh, I, that that is, a, I think, easy mode. I think that kind of um, at this point in our time trying to make um, I'm, I'm trying to prove love in dark and scary places. And I think that's a horror is a good way to do that. I, I also think that um, a lot of buckaroos forget that when you're proving love, um, you're, you're not just proving love to others. You're proving love to yourself. Sometimes that's the most important thing, which is setting up boundaries, saying, now this is my boundary and I'm going to have respect for myself and I'm not going to go past it. And I think a lot of the characters uh, in the horror that I'm I'm writing, um, that uh, is a turning point in the story of saying, this is a, I'm going to say no. And I'm going to put my hand up after proving love through acceptance is great, but it goes on and goes on. And then eventually you get to the point where you say, now you're taking advantage of me. Where is that point where you put up your hand and say, I'm going to prove love to myself in my, my feelings. Um, and and I think that um, if you don't do that, you can get into a realm of toxic positivity where everything's just uh, everything's great and there's nothing wrong with anything. And um, I, I worry that Buckaroos think that when I talk about proving love, they're going to think that's what it is because it is so much more than that. Uh, and, and really, sometimes proving love is saying no. Yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah. As a like coping mechanism for how stressful it's been to live in the world for the last 
forever, but like this has been a coping mechanism for like a few months for me now is like thinking about what it like means to prove that love is real. Like this is a thing that I like meditate on a lot. Yes. And I think the thing that I've come back to, the thing that feels more most empowering to me is like, I always try my whole life, like just try to do the right thing. Like it just makes the most, like it just makes sense to me. Like just always do the kind thing. Um, And for me thinking about it as do the kind thing, do the right thing because you can rather than because you should feels like, the empowering part of like, this is proving that love is real. Like I'm doing this because I am able to, and not because I am supposed to. And like, that feels super powerful to me. And I feel like when we see Isaac save Brandon, not because he should, but because like, he is just the kind of person that will, um, that feels like a really powerful moment of that sort of like proving love is real thing in the book. Wow, one one hundred percent. Yeah, I think your interpretation. Uh, we can all interpret these things in our own way, but that uh, lines up with Chuck's uh, in in a exact way. Um, I, I I talk a lot about proving love is real, and I talk about how love is real, and those are two distinctly different things. Uh, and different messages, even though th- there is only a one word difference. But if we're going to prove love is real, the point of that is that love already is real. That's that's the starting point. When you set out to prove love is real, you are you are taking an active approach. It is saying I'm going to interact with this timeline in a way, uh, and that is going to be my choice. I'm going to take the responsibility for that. So I, I agree with everything you said and connecting that to what the character does. Um, absolutely. I agree. I think there were versions of that because um, Brandon, uh, he, he is not a, a great uh, guy. Um, <laughs> there are versions of that where I think they could have driven away and, and Buckaroos maybe would have cheered. Um, but the point is, is uh, they, they didn't because that's not who they are. Uh and, and then at the same time, there's a version where he didn't get uh, caught and killed. But also, I, I think uh, the karma of it, he does uh, need to be punished. That character can't just entirely get away. I just didn't want it to be the fault of the others because right. that, that that community is not, not going to not gonna do that. I think it's very interesting and something you'll be interested to, uh, to probably learn is um, I have had um, – straight uh, cis uh, buckaroos who, who are very kind, good friends of, of Chuck to read uh, this and um, really identify with uh, Brandon and think, oh, well, I just, I was upset that uh, that he got killed. Uh, he he should have had him redeemed. And I just think, uh, well, that uh, that is not really the point of it. Um, and I, I really could never see it that way. Um, but I think that that is just, um, it is an interesting placeholder. Uh, and I'm kind of surprised that the book resonated so well because um, straight, straight cis uh, bookers loves, um, and it is interesting. I, I hope that they are learning from that character. The audacity of saying out loud that they think that Brandon should have been redeemed is like, I'm like, sometimes you should just not say things. <laughs> just because you know, so- <laughs> I feel like I, I feel like I am not surprised because I feel like white people are always mad when there's not a white savior in a movie about like black and brown struggle. They're like, but this white person did a bad 
a bad job. And I'm like, uh, yeah, like, I don't know what yes. more you want. <laughs> well, I, yes, and I will say, look, look, you are right. And like I was saying, um, these are very, these are very kind, smart people that Chuck cares about. Um, uh, but what what it is an example of is that um, we are so used to media having the hero be the straight cis white character and and even a character like brandon what is interesting is is that when he shows up um that's who a lot of um people in this group will just immediately uh drop into uh for better or worse and when he is is not redeemed i just i think i hope that that uh opens that discussion if they think oh i would have preferred that and then they think well why would i have preferred that and what what is it? Right. Uh, it is. It is just an interesting thing that I definitely uh, have seen. Uh, it's kind of a fascinating little um, little study there. Yeah, I think it's really important that he is killed off because if he's not, it like runs the risk of making it like the Brandon story instead of being about our heroes. And like this story isn't about whether or not Brandon is like you know, and an ally in the end, like that's not, that's yeah, a, he's yeah. incidental. Like he's a part of the story, but he's not the point of the story. Yes. And there's so many stories where a character like Brandon is the hero and it's like, it doesn't matter that he messed up. It's fine. And it's like, why, why are we always given just some says how white dude all this grace? Yes. Which I hope when Isaac finally comes to a, uh comes to the point where he says, okay, I'm going to beat this uh, buckaroo's head in with a dang tire iron. Uh, eventually, when the zombie's coming after him, um, he, he, or I know I said bat. The, the, I hope that, um, it's very strange to say, oh, I'm proving love by examining rage, but I think that you can. Um, I think that you can see Brandon, who has been uh, hopeful and passive and kind the whole book really um step up and say okay i have found my boundary this is enough there is an actual point um and so i i just um i think that what what you're saying that that is uh, connects to it as a theme and and also i'll say maybe we can jump to the the next section which is um uh i think uh maybe the the controversy of uh of the ending mm-hmm. um while it's not about the story is not about Brandon, as you said. However, I think when I was writing it, um, he was kind of the fulcrum for a choice later. And to me, the story is kind of maybe not about Brandon, but about the juxtaposition of Brandon's choice to leave and the Palm Springs community's choice to let them in. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, the story to me, as I envisioned it, was going to come down to two choices of what are these characters going to do and the choice of the queer community saying, yes, we are going to help you. Mm-hmm. And the choice of the ally, who was in some ways, small ways, but he, he represents the ally, um, saying, uh, okay, we're going to need to rely on ourselves. To, and so that was kind of the the general idea that I was going with. 
um, which I, I believe, um, actually, Jesse, when I listened, that, that was kind of seemed to be your interpretation. Uh, and, and Lark, were, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, you were talking about, um, I think there is also issues of capitalism here. Yeah. Which is that, is it really, um, is that ending as satisfying when you consider the fact that um, there's it costs all this money to get let in, and and there's there's just issues of of capitalism that I think are overlooked in the way the ending that is written. So I will say first of all, both those those sides I agree with. Um, I think personally, because I envisioned it as a juxtaposition of these two choices, and that the point of the book really thematically is the queer community supporting each other despite our differences um, and not necessarily finding that in allies while allies are great uh, that you can't really rely on that that was the theme so the way I plotted it out I came down to it and I could have made a darker ending where capitalism rears its ugly head but um, I just kind of um because it was the first way I envisioned it, I did not go that way. But I will say that is a valid ending, and I think that that's a good critique. I, I really do appreciate that critique. I, I don't think you're wrong. I thought it was really interesting, like Jesse's feedback, um, because I wonder if the way that I experienced the ending was also influenced by the fact that like, I don't have this like back catalog of zombie stories that I've interacted with that Jesse does. So like she was reading it through the framework of like, how do zombie stories end? Yes. yes. Which I wasn't because like, I don't do horror media. Yes. And so I think that probably also made a big which difference. Is a, which is, I'm going to say, um, genius uh, pickup. Um, I, I'm surprised how few buckaroos um, don't understand that, Jesse, uh, because um, you are dead on. Um, essentially, also, when I was thinking of it, I kind of thought of it, um, it's funny, we talk about the, the juxtaposition of comedy and horror. I kind of thought of it as a, as a long-form joke where the punchline is, uh, you know how, uh, I guess the joke is, Hey, what would happen in a zombie movie uh, if uh, in, in the ending where you get to the base and the military takes you in and then you find out that humans are the real monsters? Because that's every dang zombie movie. What would happen if everyone was queer? And then I thought, well, they'd be having a party in Palm Springs. They said, come on in, buddy. We just went through together and pat each other on the back. So but the joke to me was essentially thinking, what if we hit that third act? And then the story ended, and the, they were like, "Oh, okay, we're gonna help out. The, we're gonna help out the others uh, in the LGBTQIA community. Come on in." Uh, and instead of the message being, "Well, what would happen if uh, if humanity had to fend for themselves?" Uh, we say, "What would happen if a bunch of uh, uh, non uh, non straight cis white people uh, fended for themselves?" And it would look like a dang party, and probably. Uh, have a you know a, a, a dang a Dua Lipa and a Demi Lovato playing at the pool party or something. Uh, so I, I just I, I kind of um, I think that you are right to pick up on on that subversion of the genre, and that is also what kind of requires that ending to go off without a hitch. Mm-hmm. I will also say, by the dang way, 
I have thought a lot about, I guess, the capitalism critique in general. Uh, and what's very funny is that Camp Damascus, I would say, is a pretty strong, uh, I think what that is about has more to do with capitalism. And uh, uh, Barrier Gaze, I would say, is a fearing critique of capitalism. So it is funny that that is not really what Straight uh, touches on, but that the next two horror novels, um, Camp Damascus a little and Barrier Gaze very strongly uh, are critiques of capitalism, funny enough. Can't wait to read that and love a critique of capitalism. Uh, yeah. <laughs> mm. I know, a horror novel and a critique of capitalism. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so we've uh, had you, we've we've hit the amount of time that we asked of you. So I want to make sure to honor that. Um, is there anything else, Jesse or Chuck, that you want to talk about before we close out? Oh, yeah. I always have so much fun. Any excuse to come back here and trot around. Um, I will say... And it's funny, and I'm going to be a dang salesman now, uh, which is funny after a capitalism talk. <laughs> but, uh, it, is a, it is a complicated thing. Uh, capitalism in general is is a funny thing for me to critique as I am a, a, a independent bookseller. I'm selling my wares. So it is always an uneasy thing for me to talking about and talking openly about money and like your relationship with money is one of the most fundamentally anti-capitalist things that you can do so wow i like that yes and it is true it it is and and it is always i think you know as i as these books come out as i said barrier gaze is going to be on two years and that is very strongly anti-capitalist but at the same time if you say well chuck are you an anti-capitalist to me directly i have to think well how can i honestly answer that if i'm selling my selling my books and 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 uh, it's just a very complicated uh thing i will say that what i know is that um there is an unfair system set up and that what i try to do is encourage um outsiders uh, different uh, queer buckaroos to um, have a voice in that and that if we're talking about where should the money be going um, it has been going to one uh, place for a long enough time and it should be spread out to um, to some LGBTQ folks uh, to some uh, the, the basically uh, folks who are not uh, cis straight uh, white buckaroos uh, so um, within that, there is all kinds of nuance. But I, I will say that as far as me selling my, my dang book, I have a book coming out, uh, Camp Damascus, that is my first traditionally published horror novel. And what is exciting for me is that now that I have a traditional publisher, I just keep thinking, wow, if I get enough pre-orders, is this going to be a dang New York Times bestseller or some other way? And part of me thinks... Well, that is a very capitalistic thought. And then part of me thinks, yeah, but having a queer um, autistic uh, buckaroo as the number one, uh, that's pretty dang uh, cool, too, bumping off a few of these uh, uh, other more mainstream voices. So I would say um, I'm constantly uh, at battle with this. But if if, I guess if you want to hop on the Chuck train and uh, be confused in this journey along with me, uh, pre-order Camp Damascus, and uh, and we can uh, try to trot trot here together and uh, 
see what happens and see if we can take some unique queer art and uh, shake things up a bit because now I have a, a traditional publisher who uh, I think can can make that happen in a way that uh, you know will really shake the timelines. We talk about every small action can make a big change on the timeline, and then every once in a while you got something like this where you think, "Wow, this could uh, this could really make a wave." So um, if you are listening, uh, check out Camp Damascus. It is a story of. Uh, uh, queer youth at a um, conversion therapy camp. I promise it is as cathartic as straight, if not more. Personally, I think it's more cathartic. <laughs> and uh, and pre-order it uh, to support uh, Chuck if uh, if everything that I said makes some kind of sense to you, uh, then uh, you might uh, like it. We will um, we'll put the link to that in the show notes, listener. And uh, Jesse and I have already pre-ordered the book. Oh, dang. That is so kind. So, you know, our listeners will be in good company when they do the same. And yeah. we should talk we should talk off 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 the air about uh, being artists engaging in needing money, but also being anti-capitalist, because Jesse and I have okay. a lot of thoughts and also <laughs> writings about that that we put on our Patreon <laughs> that great. people pay us to access. So well, I'm glad that we've, we've been able to. That's great. Actually, um, that is a big deal. I mean, I'm, I thought I was rambling there, and I'm glad that um, you, you can both understand what I'm talking about. One hundred percent. It's the yeah. the constant the constant struggle of like, what do you do when you live under this machine that you hate, but also yeah. have to participate within it because you have like rent and need to eat. So yeah, that is uh, that is dang the. I feel like you have training in that from. Um, being a Harry Potter uh, fan. That is basically the story of the Harry Potter franchise. It's true. Yeah. How do I participate in this thing that I love? Yeah. Uh, when uh, when there are there are complications to that. So I, I appreciate that very much. And I'll also say, uh, wow, that is a heavy, very heavy interpretation of it. And it is all true. And we're all out here trying to prove love. The idea of um, Camp Damascus selling enough that I can go back and put um, from New York Times bestselling author uh, on trans wizard Harriet Porber covers and republish them. Uh, just dang, would be such a joy. I can't even imagine uh, how, uh, I don't know, that's just my own personal, I get a laugh out of that thinking how great that would be. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I'm going to go pre-order another copy, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm also going to suggest folks a uh, pre-order from your from an independent uh, bookseller. You can go online and look for what your local queer book, your local queer or other, you know, independent bookseller is. Um, because support local, everyone. Yeah. If you it if is, you can, which you can finally do because uh, because of uh, of the traditional publishing deal, you can finally pre-order from a from any bookstore and not just Amazon. Yeah. Um, cool. All right. So we're going to ask you, one of our listeners very enthusiastically submitted the following question for us to ask you, and it seemed like the perfect closing question. Um, and it is, what is your favorite flavor of ice cream? Oh, wow. I have a very interesting, I have an interesting answer for this. Um, so long time ago, um, at then Baskin Robbins, there was a flavor known as daiquiri ice. Uh, it was lime green, uh, and it was delicious. 
and it was eliminated from their roster maybe eight or nine years ago, and I still dream of it sometimes. So that actually, uh, specifically, I've not tasted it in pro- probably a decade, but uh, I do, I do miss that. Um, as far as flavors that are readily available, um, as a huge fan of chocolate milk, that everyone knows I am, uh, just a, a well done, delicious scoop of chocolate ice cream is pretty much going to hit the dang spot. Excellent answers, and if anyone. Uh hasn't a recipe i feel like whenever things like that get discontent get discontinued there are people immediately on the like let me figure out how to make this at home train so maybe maybe one of our listeners can send you a uh please tweet at me (laughs) if you know where to get a big daiquiri ice from baskin robbins um cool all right wonderful this has been this has just been the best thank you so much yeah thank you for coming on again thank you too oh my gosh that's a treat when i was ending there talking about um talking about Harriet Porter getting the dang uh, New York Times bestseller tag on it. I just thought we have known each other through a lot. <laughs> I, I, I have, a, I've grown, my dang career has grown since we started talking. It's kind of an amazing thing. I, I hope that the dang decade from now we're, we're doing this while you're hosting some late night talk show or something. <laughs> You've been trotting out in 10 years and you're two are big timers in the city of Devils. So I'm coming out and waving to the crowd. So um, it is always a pleasure. And um, thank you for, for proving love is real. It's just, it, you're so kind to me always. So thank you. Thank you too. Maybe someday we'll all be at the same convention together. That'd be neat. Oh, is it possible? Do you ever go to um, San Diego? We haven't Comic-Con? done any yet because we became a big enough deal during the pandemic. And so we have, uh, oh, wow. and Jesse and I are okay. both in like top tier uh, pandemic careful. So yeah, yeah we've been to, invited to a couple and I've had to been like, if you do a virtual version, we'll do that. But yeah. otherwise. Well, um, as it changes and, and, and if you feel safe in the future, um, I will say that um, next summer, when when um, when Camp Damascus comes out, I'm going to have um, big time uh, publicity uh, behind Chuck, and I will probably be trotting around um, to conventions. Who, who knows? Maybe I would trot to a way of uh, Detroit or something like that. But um, more than just my usual San Diego. So I, we will keep in touch because uh, to actually end up in the same spot would be great. I will say right now. Um, if schedule permits and we are all at the same convention if to do a live episode um, that would be a real dang treat so um, I'm throwing my hat in the ring if you need a guest and we're at the same place I cannot imagine anything better than that so um, yeah. yeah let's let's manifest that yeah I would yeah. love to talk about Camp Damascus honestly with you so <laughs> oh, yeah. well okay well, well we'll do another episode after it comes out Yep. Everyone uh, get vaccinated and wear masks so that we can hang out with Chuck Tingle IRL. That's your everyone's homework. Yeah. New York (laughs) and Chicago Comic Cons are pretty cool. So fingers crossed, everyone. (laughs) Yes, yes. Uh, Okay. All right. I'm going to stop this recording. 
Thank you all so much for listening to this episode. And thank you again to Chuck Tingle for proving that love is real and taking the time to talk with us. If you want to order straight or pre-order Camp Damascus, make sure that you check the show notes for links on where to do that. Happy Halloween in December.